we're continuing, actually we're coming toward the end of looking at the letter to 1 Corinthians today. Um, we're, we've, we've talked about um, this letter that Paul ha- has, has sent to this church in Corinth, ask, uh, answering their questions, kind of talking about some of the divisions that they have um, with people within the church. And in all of these, what he's wanting to do, he's wanting to answer questions that they have and maybe speak into some issues that they're having amongst other people. And, and so we get to this last section in 1 Corinthians, one of the questions they have, one of the concerns that they have, one of the things that they're discussing and trying to figure out what is going on is sometimes that they're doubting a little bit whether there's any more to life. And so they're having a discussion about what resurrection means, as we often do as well, right, around our tables. We have, we have discussions about resurrection. But what, actually what they're asking at its core is, you know, we believe this gospel, we believe this good news about Jesus um, and, and we know that has some implications, but is there really anything more than, than life? I mean, is there anything more to what this gospel means, or do this just mean that, well, I'm now part of this thing called a church, or part of this thing called, called the way, or, or being Christians? Um, because, see, some people in Corinth, some people who are part of the church, that, that they didn't believe in the resurrection of people, even though they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. All right, so what was happening is like, yes, we believe, we, we've heard that this Jesus was, was raised from the dead, um, but does that really mean anything for us? And so there was a belief that, that it wasn't about people, that when they started talking about people being raised from the dead, when they talk about people actually conquering death as well, they're like, that sounds weird. Is that really what's happening? I think this is just about our life. And so we see through the letter with a lot of things they were, tar- they were talking about that they believe that, that, Jesus, that following Jesus was about living a certain way. It was about, maybe it's about this new moral teaching. And sometimes we, we have those, those uh, understandings of it as well today. And sometimes we look at, at who Jesus was. We look at who, what Jesus was teaching. We looked at, at the things he said, this is how we should live together. And we lift that up and we say, that's great. Um, you know, that's wonderful. You know, this is an amazing way to live. Yes, we see throughout this letter that Jesus taught this law of love. And that would be amazing if we lived by the law of love. We should all try to do that. But is that it? Is there something more involved? So if we track back through Corinthians, we can see that there's this law of love. And, and, and Paul's teaching them to be unified. He's teaching them to be sexually moral so they can, they can actually talk about the differences between themselves and their culture. He says, this is the way you get along when there's disagreements. This is the way you should worship together so you're not trampling over other people's rights. He said, this is the way you should actually think about what you do so that it actually doesn't offend or doesn't, you know, put a stumbling block in front of your neighbor, that you should live others-focused instead of self-focused. And we say, great, those are all great ways to live. It would be wonderful if everyone lived that way. But is that it? Is that all we're talking about? You know, Jesus showed us a new way to live, but, but is that it? And so this question, this is how Paul answered that. And this is um, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start in verse 1. It said, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, but because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if, we have Christ, if in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So here's the deal. So, so right off the bat, or not right off the bat, but at the end of this letter, Paul is establishing kind of the truth that, listen, this, what you've received from us, this good news, this gospel that you received, you believed it, that you think this is what has happened in reality, it's based upon this man named Jesus being raised from the dead. And then he goes through and establishes that, listen, this isn't just me telling you this. You see that, that um, all of these people, that, that Jesus appeared to them after he was dead. There was the disciples. There was over 500 people at one time. To myself, you hear all these testimonies from people that Jesus has risen. And so we see that this is what we've received, that Jesus has been risen. And then he goes on to say that if he rose from the dead, then it has huge implications. That the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is really the basis of, of everything that we're doing. Everything that we've talked about in this letter, whether it's how we live together, how, how we love each other, how we deal with our community, the basis for all of this is the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. Not just because it validates who he was, but because in his resurrection he began something completely new. He says here that, that the resurrection, what it means, it means that it brings forgiveness of sin. That in this resurrection, that in Jesus' death and resurrection, it actually reverses the effects of the fall. Now, we've tracked through this a little bit, talking about what this means to, to be in sin and about the fall uh, of man, meaning that at that moment, that, that we as humanity, each one of us, we decide to say, hey, you know what? I want to decide what's right and wrong for myself. That really what we say is, I want to be God for myself, and we walk away from that, and that fractures this relationship with us and, between us and God. As we begin to say, I want to define right and wrong, define right in the universe based on myself, it fractures the relationship between us and other people, and it fractures the relationship between us and really all of creation. And, and so when we see when it says that we are in our sin, that is the state that we're in, of this broken relationship with God, with others, and with the world. And so in Jesus' death and his resurrection, he takes that sin upon himself. He says, listen, if all of this leads to death, then I'm going to take on death. And let death do its worst. Take it into myself and be crucified on a cross. And if it ended there, then there'd be a huge question mark. There'd be a huge question mark. And say, listen, all right, well, did death win? Are we still... Are we still in the state where our relationships are still broken, where there's really no hope? You see, in Jesus' resurrection, what it does, it was this announcement that there was this new reality, that, that, that death had been defeated, that the effects of the fall had been reversed, that 
Jesus, he conquered over death, that life and love win in that moment. Jesus reverses the effects of the fall. Later in the second letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says it this way, that the old's gone, the new has come. Something new is happening. And so we see that, that the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead, but the gospel is even just more than that. What it is, it's an announcement that Jesus opens up a new reality. And that our belief that Jesus was raised from the dead, that it makes the gospel more than moral advice. It makes it more than a recipe just for private spirituality. But it opens up a whole new reality in every aspect of our life. And so quickly today, we're going to run through, through two things. First off, what this means, it means hope for this life. You know, that passage that I read earlier, it ends saying, listen, if our hope is for this life only, then we're to be more, the most to be pitied. What that means inherently that is, yes, you know what? It does mean there is hope for this life. That something new is happening. For, for those of you that, that like reading, all right, uh, um, in the Chronicles of, of Narnia, this is the best way that I can explain this. In that, in the story, you see there's a land of Narnia, which is magical and everything, but it's in a state where it's always winter and never Christmas. All right? And so maybe on a day when it's 93 degrees outside, you're thinking, you know what? That could be nice. A little snow would be good. But snow upon snow upon snow is not fun, especially when it never moves on to anything else. And so it's this land that's in perpetual frozenness, a perpetual winter. Always winter, never Christmas. But then as these children move into the, to the land and they hear rumors that this lion who named Aslan, that he's on the move and he's actually coming to defeat this witch that's made it all, all throughout winter, they begin to see signs of spring. Christmas comes and as, as they're walking, snow begins to melt and flowers begin to spring up from the earth and you see that spring is coming because Aslan is on the move and winter begins to thaw. You see, in this we see What's happening with this resurrection? And to see hope in this life because we begin to see that something new is happening. Rather than just, just saying, all right, well, well I'm just going to try to do the right thing and, and realize that just sin happens, that, some, that sin has been forgiven, that something new is happening, that resurrection brings a possibility of new life, that the old is gone, the new has come. And listen, newness is something that's wonderful. Hope is something that's wonderful as we see in resurrection. And so we think about that in our personal lives. We think about things that we struggle with. When we think about whether it's anger, whether it's being jealous of other people, when we think about things that we struggle with, those parts of us that, that we say are just character flaws, but those parts of us that we, we wish we could work on well. In those spaces, resurrection says that newness is happening. In those spaces where, where we've seen really sin and our own flaws and defects and our own brokenness begin just be in cycles of, of saying, I'm going to do better, and then we try to do better, and then we can't do better, and so we mess up. Resurrection speaks into that saying, no, something new is happening. There's a power within you that can help. There's a power of resurrection that's actually working in you. See, within this, when Jesus came and he sent the Holy Spirit, there's something within you that says, no, you're new. This is something different. That's not the same old thing. 
So we have encouragement in our struggles. Struggles with personal sin, struggles with, with communal sin, where we look and say, all right, here's, here's how we have messed up within our culture, within our, our community. The resurrection says no newness breaks in. It reminds me actually of a poem by Tupac where, where a rose grows through the concrete in Brooklyn to see that beauty is springing up in the midst where there was no life. We see the resurrection is breaking in, bringing in new life, bringing in hope in this life, in our struggles, both individually and communally. But see, Paul, Paul doesn't end there. He says, yes, yes, there's hope for this life, but if it's just for this life, then we're people to be pitied. Now, that doesn't seem, doesn't make sense to us sometimes, because where we sit and we say, well, you know what? The fact that I have faith in Jesus, the fact that I have faith in resurrection, it actually helps, helps with a great life. It helps me, me move past sin. It helps me have hope. It helps me be encouraged. But he's saying that if it's just for this life, we're to be pitied. Now, you want to think about the situation of many people, of many Christians in this first century. Now, Christianity in the 21st century in America is very different than Christianity in the first century in Palestine and in Greece. All right? One is we have a fairly privileged status within our culture right now. In the first century, it was not. It, it, was, it was one that was, that was often persecuted, was often targeted um, for their beliefs. And so when he's talking to people to say, listen, this is what's happening for this life, these are people that are undergoing persecution at times. And they're looking around saying, I'm following Jesus and all I'm getting is arrested. Is this even worth it? But he's saying, listen, this is something, this is more than about just this life. There's hope beyond this life. This is larger than life. Listen, um, it's about something much bigger that, that God is in the process of setting everything right through this Jesus. As we see the resurrection happen, the power of resurrection, that things are moving to being set right. So everything's being set right. There's an invitation to this repaired relationship with God. We saw earlier that, that sin, that, that our desire to make ourselves the center of the universe is to define right and wrong, that causes a break between us and God. Because what we're doing, we're putting ourselves in the place where God should be. But because of this death, because of the resurrection, there's forgiveness, there's a way back in, there's a, re, there's a re, that gets repaired, the relationship is repaired. So as we move forward, there's hope, there is new life. There's an invitation to be reconciled to God, which, honestly, that's a big word. That means it's, it's, there is an invitation to have your relationship with God set right, to set back in the right order, to set right back in the right priority, that this relationship can be repaired. The invitation doesn't rest just with on us saying that, yes, we can have that relationship repaired, but it's an invitation to something larger. Something larger than just your life, something larger than even just right now. It's, it's an invitation to be part of setting everything right. Paul concludes this letter before he goes on to greet people at the end of chapter 15. He says it this way. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That what we do actually matters. Listen, that might be what you need to hear tonight. 
that what you do matters. If you're working toward these purposes, you know, as we pray, we pray for these different spheres, for God to give us rest, for, for God to, to help us with our witness, to share the story of Jesus, to actually work toward God's will being done on earth. If we are doing those things, your work matters. Paul is saying here, listen, what we do when we do it in the Lord, that it's not in vain. It's not going to be wiped away. It's going to last. That an invitation you extend to someone to be part of the kingdom of God, that is something that lasts not just for right now, but for eternity. The work you do for the restoration of, of, of this, this community, of this world, that's participating in what God is doing to inaugurate the new heaven and new earth, the kingdom of God on earth. That it matters and it lasts, that nothing will push it aside. And because we see that, because we see hope in new life, we see an understanding that what we do isn't in vain, that there's an invitation to live with hope. There's an invitation to live with hope knowing that your life matters. Knowing that a life that is restored in a relationship with God, that it can do amazing things here in this life, but beyond as well. And so, we want to close. If we can leave you with this today, that we want to live in light of the resurrection. Don't walk away from what you've received. If, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, if this cornerstone of what we believe in our faith that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that has huge implications for your life both here and your life for eternity. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead, then the future is one that is one of hope. And the amazing thing about that is that that hope, it does, it's not just for someday. That begins now. You know, throughout the Gospels and the Epistles, it talks about this eternal life that sometimes we think about, well, that happens well, when I die, that I have eternal life. But no one's talking about this quality of life that's about the kingdom of God that begins now. And so if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then believe in the power of resurrection that's happening even now within your life. When you face struggles, that there is a power that is, that is moving toward beauty, moving toward hope, that works within you. When you look around and you see injustice, know that there's a power that's moving toward beauty, that's moving toward justice at work in the world now, and it's inviting you to be part of that. Because if Jesus has been raised from the dead, listen, anything is possible. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, then, then the rules of the way these things have to work don't really apply. You see, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then life is breaking through in everything. And life is the new law, not death. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, for today. We want to thank you for, for life that you give. We want to thank you for... We want to thank you that, that you died for us, but it wasn't even just about your death that, that you didn't stay dead. That you brought new life. And so, God, we thank you that, that you've, you've given us life. 
God, we thank you that you've invited us into new life. God, I pray that, that we live in light of your resurrection. That we live in hope. We live in confidence. And that you will set everything right. That you will repair that relationship within us. That you will heal our world. And so, God, we pray that with expectancy. And we pray that with certainty. Because you have been raised from the dead. In your name we pray. Amen.